and welcome to another episode of Carolyn Talks for the So Here's What Happens podcast. And this is Carolyn Talks Mass with fellow film critic Emily Tannenbaum. And we're going to get into this film Mass, which I think was extreme. It's a, it, I think it's like almost like to be hyper, um, hyperbolic, a tour de force of acting, <laughs> which we saw yes. at um, this year's Sundance. But before we get into that, I'll ask Emily to introduce herself and then I'll give a brief synopsis of the film. So Emily. Hi, um, I'm Emily Tannenbaum. I'm a film critic, entertainment writer um, who lives out of LA. I was previously the entertainment editor of Cosmo, but then went freelance to focus on um, my writing more. So um, Mass was a film that premiered at Sundance by filmmaker and actor um, Fran Kranz, who does not star in the film, but he um, directed it and it's this very isolated conversation between the parents of a school shooting victim and the parents of the deceased perpetrator so two pairs of grieving parents <laughs> a really harrowing situation and it seems it's um a couple of years after the fact and the first time these couples are coming together and they're played by um the victim parents um are played by martha plimpton and jason isaacs and the uh perpetrator's parents are reed bernie and Anne dowd so it's just packed with really spectacular um actors and and uh, one of my, definitely, I would say, my top three films of Sundance. Yeah, it was this, I will say this year for Sundance, um, I kind of split my, um, the films that I really love into two categories. One was the documentaries, and then the other one is the features. And I found it was kind of hard to pick a top, the, say a top three, including both features and documentaries, because I think each category was so strong this year. Um, so I would say for my dramatic film, definitely Mass is probably my, um, is definitely my top three. It kind of fluctuates depending on how I feel, but, um, I'll get, so I'll give a brief synopsis of this and then we'll get into it. Um, so Mass is the debut feature film by Frank Kent and the synopsis is imagine the most dreaded, tense, emotionally draining interaction you could find yourself in and multiply it by 10. Very true. That is exactly what two sets of parents, Richard, Linda, Jay, and Gail, are facing. Years after a tragedy caused by Richard and Linda's son tore all their lives apart, Jay and Gail are finally ready to talk in an attempt to move forward. And I, the description of this film, I think, is like pretty spot on because this film is super tense. And it is, you, you do feel emotionally drained when at the end of this film. I remember that all of, a lot of our critic friends who watched this, they said, they couldn't watch anything else after this film because when you're done, you feel like exhausted and you feel like you've been on this emotional journey with these characters. And I think that's a really good um, recommendation of the film, where as, as audiences, we do feel the same emotions or at least as close to the emotions with the characters as you can, where you feel like you've been on, you're not just watching it, you're experiencing it with them. And this cast, these four actors, they think they did a phenomenal job with, with the material and just like so much of it is about their facial expressions and their um, body language. And they just did an amazing job. And I think for Frank Franz, I think he did a fantastic job for a debut film. Like to do something like this with your debut film is pretty amazing. And I've seen a lot of really good films um, recently where, um, especially for Sundance, where uh, I think a lot, I think all of the dramatic features that I like were by first time um directors so let me see there's mass there is oh wait i'm wrong so um most of them so it's mass and then wild indie is my feature debut director and i, I had to readjust because um uh one for the road um by bass punipriya is not that's not his first debut mm -hmm. that's not his first feature so I, that's why i had to correct myself um and i yeah. i be i believe um one of my other favorites um on the count of three which i know pe other people had um mixed reactions but that was one of my top movies. And I believe that was Jared um, Carmichael's first debut directorial, directorial debut. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so before we get really into the positives, because they're like, I think that's the majority of our conversation is going to be that is, were there, were there any aspects of the film that you didn't, not necessarily didn't like, but didn't really grab you or that you wished had been done better? So I can't say that I have any specific cons or anything that I wish was different. Um, the only thing I can really think of is I don't know if this furthered a conversation. Like I mm. felt extremely emotionally vulnerable after I felt for the characters. Um, I thought it was a beautiful film. I don't know if it took me anywhere surprising. I don't know if there was any revelation that I had not thought about on this subject of school shootings and gun control and the way it affects people. But I also don't necessarily feel like that's what it needed or was trying to do. Um, I really think it was an exploration into these characters and uh, their conversation. And I don't think it was meant to manipulate the audience or, or change um, an opinion in any way. Right. So, but that is something I was thinking about. Yeah, for me, I, I agree with I agree with you. But um, for me, the other part of it is there. There's the way how the dialogue is structured. A lot of it is, um, especially going into their main conversation. A lot of it is um, interrupted dialogue where people start saying something and they don't finish it. And I, and I, I guess a lot of that has to do with like, sometimes you're so overcome with emotion, you don't know how to. You're like you're you're thinking something, but you don't know how to verbalize what you're ex experiencing, which I understand fully. But then there's parts where it, it feels like I need to know what you want to say because it need, I need to get into your head more as a character, like as, as an audience. I'm like, I just give me a bit more dialogue. Just give me a bit more of what you want to say because like we only discovered that it's about a school shooting like close to the end of the second act. That's and, it, and it's a moment that clicked. And you, you just get the inference from that and then they do carry that story along. But you're left wondering way too long what the main um contention is like was it an accident like we I like we I was like what like did they die together was it a car accident you know what Absol I mean no absolutely know what you mean because I feel like it was almost used as a intrigue point of oh you are, you want to stay watching because you want to figure out what these people are dealing with but on the other hand it's funny because I went in knowing what it was about um I went in knowing it was about a school shooting so I wasn't trying to piece those things together and um mm. so i think it, it it's gonna be an interesting um variant on people's opinions of the film um whether or not they know what they're getting into um yeah um, i had no idea it was about a school shooting and i did that i went in purposely not i didn't ask in our, in our friends um chat i didn't ask what the film was about because i really wanted to figure out what i really wanted to go in blind um and when I started to realize that it was about school shooting, I remember in the chat, I was like, is this about Columbine? And the reason I asked this is because there's nothing to indicate a time period in the film either. Like you can't tell if it was present day, you can't tell if it was two or three years ago, you can't tell if it was 10 years ago because of the, the, the costume design, like the clothes they're wearing or just regular clothes, there's nothing um, in, the, in the costume that dates what time period are. Like, you know, you could tell like 80s fashion and you can tell in like, 90s fashion stuff, like, their clothing like was so nondescript. I had I was like completely lost for a moment. So I was like, is this about Columbine? And then it was like running through, is this about the um the post shooting? And it was like I just kept running through and I could, I could not figure out which one it was. I I don't think it is one. I think that it's purposefully not any specific yeah. shooting because there are so many <laughs> and it's a <laughs> it's a pandemic in and of itself. Um, and I think that's the yeah. point. But I do believe, if I'm not wrong, that Fran really started thinking about this topic after Parkland. And that was like the closest, like if it were to be one, that would be the one I would have connected it to as well. Yeah, it was Parkland because, because um, I watched the, after the film, they had the director's thing and he does say that he was, he said that the idea for the film or just the explanatory came when he heard a radio it was a radio report and they were talking about it and he said he started to think about it and then that's when like that so it was parkland but like as you said like it was i think it was purposeful that 
you can't tell and it is supposed to be sure that that isn't it's like these things happen so often you can't really stick down a time period and like like it's an as you, as you say it's an it's an epidemic and and like the name infers it's like there's like mass shootings but it's a, it happens on a massive scale like the amount of um the school shootings or like shootings at like public events in in, the, in America is like astronomical when you consider like the like the time period between each and like, like there was a period I think like what was it, like four five years ago where you were having a, a shooting almost like almost every other month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's um, I don't have it in front of me, but I know that there were kind of insane number of school shootings specifically in just. Um, 2019 like heading into 2020 when everything shut down it feels like we don't ever escape the cycle which I think is something that's discussed heavily in the film especially with um Jay who is played by Jason Isaacs who many will know as Lucius Malfoy from Harry Potter (laughs) um but his character um become is heavily involved in activism and gun control lobbying which makes almost I believe all three of the other characters in the film um kind of uncomfortable but um he's he talks a lot about change and how nothing's happening and um the the shooter's father is very resistant to activism he's like oh we have to look at everything we have to um focus on mental health and it's too much to just try to change all of these things and it's like well if we don't we're gonna keep having this insane cycle but yeah and I think and and the thing I wanted to and I think this is one of the most impressive things about the film is if you look at the characters and how they're written and their dialogue and how they're portrayed and acted they actually, to me, symbolize four of the stages of grief. Actually, like maybe all five stages of grief um, tied up individually and in pieces. So, like for um for for Jesus' character, Jay, he's the he's the anger. He's the he's the one. He's he's at that point where you're anger. You're you're you, you don't want to let anything go. You're like I deserve to feel my anger. I deserve to be caught up in my grief. And a lot of his anger is stems from frustration, not only at the loss of his son, but the the senselessness of it because it's just like this did not need to happen and this he's like these things could have prevented not only through the not only from the parents from from the per, the perspective of the parents of um of the of the killer but also he's talking he's talking like you mentioned and um, politics he's talking about how the government sh- should be handling these situations and how these things could would stop happening if the government would do gun control and do proper legislation and he's he's that anger. And then when you look at his wife, um, Gail, played by Martha Plimpton, she's at, she's close to the end of the five stages of grief, where she is at the acceptance stage, and she's ready to move on. And she's just like, I'm exhausted. Like if you look at her, she's she's exhausted so much. Yeah, of the time. I agree. And I believe I believe more so that she wants to be at acceptance, and that was like the the mm-hmm. point of the entire meeting that she had called for um but she struggles because she struggles throughout the film she goes from um she like has her moments of rage and has her moments of um even doubt of what she's doing there but but it is all in seeking of acceptance and that like turning point like you said so I just found it really fascinating how he did the thing. So we we'll get into their into the individual characters a bit more. Aside, but I want to talk a bit about the setup for the entire film. Well, what did you think about how it began? Because it begins almost awkwardly. We're at we're at this. Um, they're not press. Is it a press protector? I believe so, but I don't quote me on it. it could have been Methodist. Uh... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think it's Methodist. I think I'm um, because like the church that I go to, some some of the events is like the church that we that. Well, we used to arrive with that, like not with Kobe, we don't go there anymore, but it was a press picture and the setup was very familiar and like, um, but but beyond that, the point, the thing is, is that they go into this church and you're going into this meeting room, which is like where you would have like prior practice, whatever, and this is, they go into this this room with this table and the, um, the church secretary, she's just awkward and she's so, and, and she, she wants to help so much and it's just like, you're just like, 
something is up and I'm like why is she I thought that was so um I don't like to be too hyperbolic but I thought it was such a genius Mm. entry point because I think that there is such a weight to this topic and weight to this conversation that is so heavy and so grief stricken but then you've got Mm. a world that's moved on it's like we mourn as a country after Parkland or whatever, any of these for a period of time. And then everyone moves on except for the people who lived it. And mm-hmm. so they're stuck in the same grief that we feel initially after any of these events, but outside of that life moves on. So you've got people doing everyday things like preparing boxes for something, another event or the chorus, um, practice that they forgot to move and they're horrified by the idea that these poor people that they empathize so heavily with are going to have to hear singing and it's just how do you create this space for them when life has to move on and when life is still being lived it's it's it, it was I thought a very interesting way in and I felt for Judy and I cringed at her. <laughs> yeah, Judy was um so Judy played by Brita Wu. I think she was she's such an interesting character because she's like you can tell she's an empathetic person. And when I mean that I mean that you she you she's I think she's one of people that could pick up on people's emotions very easily. And she's the I think which I think is actually a really good um um character trait for someone who's who works yeah. in a church and who's a church secretary because you can meet people of different who are in various emotional states and she's at this she's she has no idea what is going on all she knows is that they're renting this room and it's used for is she has no she has no idea for grief counseling well she just knows that these people are coming in and they're going to be uncomfortable and she's like trying to set up she's providing water she's providing snacks she's like all right she's worrying about the chairs yeah. and the table and i can kind of relate to that because working in the church i used to do the same thing when we prep for meetings we think about okay, where do we put the tissues? Where do we put this? But then you have um, Kendra, who I'm, I'm assuming is their grief counselor. Or she's the person that's been working with them. And she picks up on things that Judy doesn't pick up on. So she's like, move the flowers. That's going to make them uncomfortable. She's like, put the tissues to the side because the tissues is going gonna, is gonna to almost like be a precursor for them praying. You don't want them to think about their tears. So put it aside. And she sees like the stained glass window. She's like, that could be a problem, but you can't do anything about it. And I'm like, these little things are just like, you don't, we don't think about these kind of things once we've moved on from our grief. But then in that moment, she's thinking, and then I was just thinking about her as, as Kendra, like she has to work with people all this time and she always has to be hypersensitive to anything that could, that could upset the man. Exactly. And, and I mean, I interpreted it a little differently. I did think that Judy knew who they were and what they were doing there, which I think made it so much harder because she is just this woman who is a uh, works at this church she doesn't know she can only know her own empathy and what she hopes would make people feel better um but like you said Kendra this is her job this is what she knows um so it's like those things that she picked upon um like the food that no one's gonna touch and all of those things um because our instinct is to feed people who are sad (laughs) It's true. So then going off from, from what you said, I agree because we don't think, like, I just think it's interesting how France was able to show these different situations surrounding grief. So we have the grief parents, but then you have like the grief counselor, like who we like, unless we're dealing with them, we don't think about what a grief counselor has to go through. And so like, even like once they, once the, the couples arrive, she exits the space. She's like, this is their space. This is for them to do whatever it is they need to know she goes and sits on her in her car and judy doesn't understand that for she's like you want to hang around and kendra's like no and and for me i said as her having to separate herself from the situation because she can't always be in that space not only for them but also i think for her own mental well-being mm. and it's also that I, this space i can imagine being in, the, in that room that you could probably feel the weight of the grief and she's like i can't be around this so i'm gonna sit in my car and go read in my car for however long it takes these people to do this and I think she says she was doing it for six years. So it's just like, imagine, and this is with this one couple, she's been with this one couple for six years. So you're just thinking how much, how much of these situations and these discussions have they have? And it's just like, 
this re it's like a cycle like they're going rehashing the same things over and over and over and over again yeah it's it's a pretty heavy un unbelievable job for someone to have um and again like it's funny because i think um michelle and carter who plays kendra brita will who plays judy even um the young man who played like the intern or whomever he was at the church yeah they did they they infused a lot of emotion and a lot of um weight into limited roles and and short periods of time it speaks and to their their um, abilities as actors but also fran's ability as a director of actors and i and i think that must come at least in part from his own experience as an actor yeah, I think so too. I think um, even if sometimes, even if a director isn't an actor, but they understand the mindset of actors, that like you can tell when they understand that, you can tell when they let the actors breathe through the spaces and just like let them do what it is they need to do and not dictate every single move and every and every and everything. Like you just let them, you just let you do your staging, you're blocking it, you're like, okay, we're gonna move here, we're gonna move there. But once you get into that space, and once they begin rolling, he's like, just let them do whatever it is they need to let, let them carry the conversation where it needs to. And I think that and I think that he did that brilliantly with this film because I can't imagine directing every single move that they make. I, I have to believe that a lot of it just came naturally to them. I think I think in the director's um discussion, he said that they that they they didn't even do that much rehearsal, if I'm remembering correctly. I could be wrong. So but I think, I think he said that they didn't have that much rehearsal because they, they filmed it in a pretty short space of time. And for them to do what they did in that short, in a short space of time, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, it really was um, an act, like an acting movie. He didn't have any crutches. He didn't have any playing, or too much playing around with style choices mm -hmm. that he could lean on. He had a few different like shots, but, but really it was all all on the performances in this one and it was interesting I was thinking about yeah. and it was brought up in the chat I don't remember who said it but I know there was a bit of a discussion about how the movie felt a little like a play and it and he had considered making it a play before he decided that it really he wanted it to live as a movie but I thought it was so interesting because I never actually felt too much like it was a play I I understood the connection because it's this one space but I kept thinking back to um, another film, which was which was um, adapted from a play, American Son, which mm. was a great movie. But there was a feeling of trappedness in that police station, where if like anyone left that area, you felt like the set would fall apart. Like you felt like yes. you were in a play. Like you felt if they walked too far to the left, <laughs> all of a sudden it would be wood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I never felt that with Mass. I felt very much in this church with them. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't, to me, it didn't feel like a play. I felt like I was in that room with them. And I think, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the, with the camera placement where it's like it's not like the camera is never like too high up it doesn't there's no overhead shots a lot of it is like um per, uh, pov like personal view so it's like if I, i'm five feet so i like a lot of it was if i was in that room i could imagine like seeing jason isaacs from my perspective as a short person and like he, he changes this with the height of each actor if you look at it like if he's with from uh, jason's perspective the camera's placed from his um his height perspective if it's from um, from Anne's perspective, it's up, like, and you're looking at the others, it's like the camera's placed eye level with her. And then even or when the camera moves, like you can tell they're in a room with four walls. It doesn't feel like if you're a play where you only have like three, like the backing and the two side walls, it doesn't feel like that. You can tell you're in a room mm -hmm. with four walls, a ceiling and a floor. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. And I, I, it's interesting you point that out. I didn't clock that, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like Anne Dowd, looks up at Jason Isaacs, um, whereas Reed, Bernie, or Richard mm. and Jason Isaacs seem to look across at each other, into each other's eyes. It's, it's interesting. It's very good. Yeah, like, and so I think that's one of the things that also really sells the realism of it, where, um, like, one of the things that makes you feel like you are there experiencing these things and because you're getting so much from, from their perspective 
And um, so I just want to get now into the into their acting. Like I, their acting is the whole is like everything in this film hinges on their acting because so much of it takes place Absolutely. in one location. Like if they didn't give their all to these performances, this film would fall apart. And they oh, sell yeah. every single emotion like beautifully. Were there any moments in their acting and their performances that really stood out for you? Oh yeah, I mean, I think that the whole movie is Martha Plimpton's movie. I I was just blown away by her, the nuance of her performance and the the variety of feelings and the way she moved in and out of them. I thought was just um, incredible and Dowd as well. Um, but but we we've known and Dowd is a acting powerhouse, but um, Martha hasn't. I feel. She's always fantastic in these juicy secondary roles she's been given. She was one of my favorite actresses to get um, a recurring role on The Good Wife. And, mm. But the, the real meatiest thing I feel she's been given so far in her career. And she just knocked it completely out of the park. So I, for me, she was the standout. Um, Jason Isaacs was extremely imp- impressive. And Reed, um, I, I think his performance was fantastic. I think that his character was stilted and his character was so afraid of expressing what he truly felt. So that didn't allow Reed to shine as much as the other characters, but that's purposeful. Um, but yeah, that's what I, that's how I felt about it. No, I, I feel the same way. I think the two women, I think, um, Martha and um, and they give these two very distinct performances. Like I mentioned earlier, they're the, these therefore the four characters kind of represent the different stages of grief. And for me, the two of them, um, they did such a fantastic job. I think giving voice and and giving like physical expression to what these parts of grief is. So like um, Linda, played by Anne Dowd, she is remorse. She she's caught up in she she's like the the, the part of, of 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 grief where you're questioning. And you're blaming yourself and you're trying to figure out what it is that led to this situation. You're confused. And, and that's, and that's, and that's Linda. Linda is like, she's the mother of this, 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 this person that she raised, that she, she held in her womb and that she raised as a baby. And she saw all of them and she saw all of his joys and his ups and downs. And then he grows up to do this monstrous thing. And she's confused. She's like, how did I contribute to something like how, where's the baby that I raised like I wouldn't she could she could have fathomed this and she's she's so confusing she's also so remorseful to the other parents and even to her husband and to herself and she's like I'm so sorry and and she she just feels like you can tell that she if she would she would do anything to reach to to make him go away but she can't and, and I think it's funny because yeah she she definitely um carries the weight of it the whole time but there's also s- such um, a wonderful moment of power with Anne where she just looks Gail in the eye and she's like, I'm, I'm not going to not love my child. Uh, that wasn't the line, <laughs> but it was that sentiment. But I'm not, I'm never... Like if we, if what you want is for me to tell you that my kid was a monster, you're not going to get that from me. Um, so it was, yeah, I think, I think that both Martha and Anne had such shining moments in the film. They did. And, and I, I think, it, I think their personalities were, weren't only about the, um, the grief, but I think also about, mm-hmm. I, I want to use the word femininity. And the reason I use the word femininity is because they're like the opposites to their husbands. So their husband, uh, so you have um, you have Jay who's angry and wants answers and wants change and justice. And then there's Richard who's like in a start of denial where he's like, you know, where men they don't want to have to answer for for their for for things that they've done wrong and they they think they can not necessarily gaslight, but they think they can talk their way out of a situation. And if they they use like intellectual or or you know like intellectual knowledge or they go from a place of experience and he's just like the way he's speaking is like he's speaking in a boardroom and it seems almost detached i'm like sir we're talking about grief and murder and death and you're at you're you're trying you're selling you're trying like you're delivering a lecture and and then you have between and then the way how they're the way how they're sitting is like jay richard sits opposite gail and jay sits opposite Anne, and you have these you have they're almost like a diamond shape 
and they're playing off of each other. And these two men are just like stuck in their own, from their own perspective. And like, they want to be heard. Whereas the two women are there talking from a place of empathy. They're talking from a place of emotion and connection to their children. Not just that the fathers aren't, but they're talking more from a perspective of they, they, they're emotionally connected to these two children that they gave birth to. And I just think I like, if they don't, if we don't see any kind of nominations for these people next year, like scrap every other, um, <laughs> scrap all the awards, scrap them. Like no, seriously, because I'm just like, but just thinking about it, like I thought about this film a lot. I just think about it, like they blew me away because I'm like, their emotions are so just raw. But then when you think about just grief in general, it doesn't have to matter. It doesn't matter what situation it is, but when you're experiencing grief, like you see so much of your own, you see so much of what you felt in grief in them. And then you have to think about it perspective as women, where we're, 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 we're also trying to calm down the people around us. Like they were trying to calm their husbands down and they were like, and she's like, Richard, okay, just like, you know, back down a bit. And then, and then Anne is doing the same. And then Gail is doing this. And she's like, Jay, you like chill out a little bit. And it's just like, they're exhausting. And she's like, you two men are exhausting us too. Like, and I, I see what you're, I absolutely see what you're saying where, um, too, about the emotional like connection, like everything that Linda and Gail talk about is their specific child. And I believe in every moment, it's um, the, the snails that the boy collected or the time for Gail, the time her son came home covered in mud before an event. And for the two men, it's these broader conversations about um, responsibility and uh, like society and the the lawsuits that happened afterwards and all of these things but for the women it's just completely always drawn back to the kids um, wanting to show pictures of their current of their um, families and and all of those moments but it's, it, it, that's definitely an interesting piece of it as well for sure yeah, no, um, I just, like, this film is, this film, I think this film is just so, so deep. There's so, so many lit, layers. So lit, so many and layers. There's so many layers. Just, I would love to talk to friends because just even the set design and the way there are certain minutes, so certain little moments that come back, like, um, one of the things that struck me is when they got, go into the room, Gail has on this blue cardigan. Is that a cardigan? That's a scarf. Um, maybe I think it's a scarf, but she puts it on the back of her chair. And then... I'm wrong. It's not Gail. It's Anne's. Because I remember Because it's Anne's and she puts it on the back of her chair. And then later she brings the, the, the chair with the cardigan across to where Gail moves. Because there's a moment where Gail gets up and she literally can't be at this table with him. And she goes to sit in the corner. And this is where the moments of acceptance come. Because she's sitting in this chair that has, um, that I think it's, this, it's the same color as um, Anne's scarf. And to me, I saw that as a moment where she's just like, you know what, I'm like before she was separated from Anne and then she's like you know I'm just gonna embrace this because this is the moment where she's like talking about forgiveness she's like I need to forgive them she's like I have to forgive you because I am not like this is not healthy for me and I think that's an important part of the discussion with grief overall where where we have to come to moments where we're like I can't wallow in my grief anymore and it's like you're not stuck you, you will never stop grieving because you will always miss this person there's always going to be a moment where you think about them and you, you just have a, a small brief moment of grief but you have to move on but then she's just like I can't be bogged down in this anymore I can't make this be part I can't I, I can't cover myself and my identity in this grief anymore and I just saw that the way how she just separates herself um from Jay I think was a really important moment too because I think it really like I felt almost like where if he thinks that she is in the same grief with him, that it gives him permission to keep holding on to it the way he wants to. But whereas she stepped aside, it was a moment for him to say like, maybe I need to start moving away from this too. So I, I just thought it was just like mm. one of those really small moments that, that telegraphed so much. Yeah, I, yes, for me, for me, Gail's move from the table to the um, armchair was like, a very big moment and then another thing that I um, would love to know the intention of um, that Fran I would love to talk to Fran about but um, something he did that I found so brilliant is at um, Jay's 
almost deepest moment of grief when he finally lets go, lets loose what he's been wanting to say the entire time it cuts away to a field and I know a lot of people have different perspective of what that field is supposed to represent in that moment and um, I think it is supposed to represent something because Fran was like oh I'll let people think for themselves so it clearly does but for me that moment was important because I think sometimes movies dealing with this kind of topic or any truly horrible topic you could think of subject there is a line between showing emotion and trauma porn romanticizing grief or or exploiting grief and for me that moment felt like you don't you don't get to own this man's worst point in his grief and his his um experience because that was like clearly a breaking point for him that perhaps Gail had had prior to even this um, conversation between the parents. So for me, that that was such a brilliant choice and I might be completely off base with what it represented, but that's what it felt like to me. Um, and I thought that was great because I, I like, it feels weird to say that this is a subject that speaks um, specifically to me because I think it is such an American um, experience that we all live with every time one of one of these happens. But having grown up um, right outside of Parkland and then remembering the day that that um, everything happened there that. Um, it's just, it's just a tough conversation and it's a tough topic. And I appreciated how thoughtful I felt Fran and the entire cast was um, about representing this story. And I felt, I felt that I felt their, their empathy and their connection and their, and their um, restraint I would say. No, I understand. Um, the moment that you're speaking about when it goes to the field, that, that scene that it legit gave me um, chills and like the hair on my arms rose because um, when it, with the field, there's like this um, barbed wire fence and uh, on this barbed wire fence, there's a little red, um, just a little red streamer attached. And it, I don't know, I don't know if that was Providence. I don't know if that was planned or what, but like there's a moment where it goes dead silent mm-hmm. and the flag was fluttering and then it just stops. And that gave me goosebumps because I saw that as like, to me, I, 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 I don't know what, but I heard a gunshot when that happened. It was almost like, you know, like you hear a gunshot and like everything goes still. And then I was just thinking, this is also like what grief is like, like there comes a moment where everything just stops mm-hmm. and like you, you have to figure out what's your next move? Like, how will you move on? And I saw that, that scene as like almost a turning point in the film and a turning point for, for yeah. Jay in particular because that's like it was fluttering and then it stops and like it kind of mimicked his his what he was what like you mentioned like he was going on and then the camera switches and it was like woo that was like chill I was like I, I don't know how they did it but that flag stopping dead was like was like a lot was like it was like just thinking about it my arm this might I got my the hairs on my arms are raising again it was so I that was like such a chilling moment and and the 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 um, choice to turn away from I would say the most emotional part of the film is not a choice that any director would make. <laughs> I, I, I think that was very specific um, and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a phenomenal moment, just like editing and directing, just like mm-hmm. that one, like there's that one moment says so much about the film because it's just like, ah. and, and, and then it's the feel. And I think that feels, also, one of the things that made me think of Columbine, and I don't know why, but that's when I realized, I started to think, oh, wait, is this a school shooting? Because it looked like a school, um, uh, a, uh, a, f- a football field, because there's like the lights in the, in, like, in the distance and the thing. And it also kind of hit me kind of like to symbolize everything that's going on now with the pandemic, where like you have schools and like you, the fields are vacant and empty. And this is because schools are, all the schools are closed, like kids 
aren't aren't playing in the fields, right? And I just like that it just that kind of made me think of that too. Just like this this pandemic has changed life so much. And and but that doesn't really have anything to do with the film, but I remember it was just a, it was just a thought <laughs> yeah, yeah. to me. Like <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Is there any moments um, in particular? We we talked about their their performances and their um the set and everything, but it, anything with this particular with the dialogue that stood out to you? Mm, dialogue. Um, um. When? Oh yes. Okay. I have it right here. Um. There are two. Mm-hmm. There are two moments, and again, they're between the two women, um, they, throughout the film, Gail and Jay are really grappling with what they feel like are Richard and Linda's inaction and um, removal of themselves from the equation after the shooting. There were legal reasons they couldn't talk um, because they were being sued. There were um, they were being completely isolated from their community, but still Gail and J- Jay never felt like they heard anything from them. Um, and at one point, Lisa says, um, Linda says, sorry, Linda, um, I never thought I had enough good to say. And it really was such a striking line to me because I was just like, what could she have ever said that would have helped these people? Nothing, nothing. And then um, Linda had another line. And this is, I think, what I brought up before. I I should have just brought up my notes then (laughs) because I had it right in front of me when she goes, I know the world would have been better without him, but I can't say I would have been. And... Yeah, that was that. I'm like tearing up like right now, (laughs) thinking about it. Um, And then the one that really got me, where I think I totally lost it, was Gail says, "I made a promise to him that I can't keep," Um, and she was talking about how she had promised her son after his death that his death wouldn't be in vain. But she she's doesn't know what to do with this fight. Um, and she doesn't know what that looks like. What does his death not being in vain looks like? And I lost that. I lost my, mm-hmm. I lost my whole <laughs> control over my own tear. Yeah, there were many moments in that film that made me teary, but that scene really struck me because it just, it, it does discuss like when we say these things, when we say, I won't let your death be in vain, what does that mean exactly? And then when, you, when you're talking about something, we're talking about gun violence, we're talking about something that goes from a very micro level where it's their personal, what happens to them personally. But if you're gonna take it up talking about like with the government, how does that how does that play into doing things like gun legislation? They're only like, they're fighting this and their other, their other families doing the same thing. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, like these decisions are out of your hands. Like they, 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 they're not the ones who are gonna put laws into place to enact um, gun registrations and like, you know, and stricter and stricter um, rules and regulations for owning guns. And like she, I think for her, for at that moment, she's like, I'm tired. And 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 she 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 came to a point like, I think there's one of those moments where you realize that you do have to move on. And even though the person that's gone is your son and and like, we, like they talked about like watching it from growing up and like, there has to be that amount, that guilt that also comes with you know, in a sense, letting go, mm-hmm. and in a sense, realizing that you can't win this fight, and that you realize for your own personal well-being, you have to let go. And I think for her, when I was, I just when I was when I saw that, I was just thinking she has to go through all of these things. She has to go through the idea of guilt of letting go, of thinking she fails her son, of of maybe failing her her herself and her husband too, and like all of the other kids that were that were killed that were killed in the school shooting. And then there's all these things that she has to deal with. And then it just hit me. I'm like, imagine being in that situation, like everything that's running through her head. She, and, but then she has to come to a point, like you have to be so strong to say, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to break this promise to my son. And I'm like, 
like the weight that could have been on her shoulders like even if she does forgive um jay and no if she does forgive um uh linda and re and reed richard sorry <laughs> richard linda and richard and their son too she now has to contend with the consequences of that too right so i'm just thinking yeah. like yo that was <laughs> that was that part of that dialogue was hitting a lot <laughs> It was, it's heavy. Um, and especially because I mean, um, something for Gail was, and and the difference between Gail and Jay and Richard and Linda was Richard and Linda, their marriage imploded. They weren't together. Um, they clearly like had love for each other, but they were separated. Um, Jay and Gail were still together. And also, and I believe it's for both families, but Gail had another, has another child um that she doesn't feel like she's giving the most of herself to um and there's so there's other people besides gail that she needs to um move not move on i I feel like move on is a is the wrong wording but um let go of of some of the pain um to be present for yeah yeah i just i i don't like this film had there's so much um that we could there's so much more mm. we could discuss about this film um i could I go just on it, but I just, <laughs> just like i and i think one of the i think also one of the best things about the film is it's paced really well uh-huh. and it 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 feels long but it doesn't feel too long it feels like it gives you enough time to go through these emotions because i don't think a film like this could be managed with like an hour and a half. I think like the two hours runtime fits yeah. it perfectly. I think it, cause it gives us, it, it takes us through the journey and it doesn't feel like it's forcing the story. It doesn't feel like it's trying to manipulate. Right, that's one of the things I think, I think one of the best parts of the film. It doesn't feel emotionally manipulated. Exactly. It doesn't feel, exactly. Fran doesn't feel, it doesn't make, it doesn't feel like Fran is trying to make us sympathize with these characters or try to make us like feel emotional. He's just like, I'm giving you the story that like, however this, drives you is how is is like wherever this takes is where it's going to take exactly it doesn't um he he also wrote it i don't know if we said i know we said it was his directorial debut but he's also wrote it and um i i i need to dial back i'm a i'm a fran cran stan for sure (laughs) i i have been following this man's career a very long time um because i i loved him in dollhouse um which is Josh Schmiedens <laughs> won't say his name right. Schmash Schmiedens Dollhouse, <laughs> um, and I've I loved him in Schmash Schmiedens Cabin in the Woods, and then Much Ado About Nothing. And he's had a very big impact on me, um, but I wasn't expecting this from him, and. I don't think that, especially for his debut, there was no showing off. This wasn't about he. Mm. This wasn't about him showing off his um, flourish as a director or a writer. It was about telling the story that moved him, and I, I thought that that came through. And I thought that that was pretty, pretty great. Agree. Like this film, I, I I don't know if I would call it perfect, but I think it's pretty darn near perfect. Um, but yeah, this is definitely like uh, just as we wrap up, like this is definitely one of my favorite films from Sundance. I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to watch it because I think it's a film that, and I'm not even gonna say because it's topical or whatever. I just think just the performances and just like his his directing is just is just so well done. Is it just needs to be seen as from if you're a fan of films and filmmaking and acting like this is just a film that you need to see because what they do is just I think they did a phenomenal job and um like kudos to the entire cast kudos to to Fran and the the supporting um, actors too they did a really good job and it was all just right it was all just enough nothing felt forced nothing felt overdone nothing felt like emotions weren't overwrought and over dramatized and um I just like well, bravo and, and I mean bravo. I can't wait to see what's next from him as a filmmaker as well um 
it'll be interesting to see. Do we, do you know um, if this has been acquired yet? I haven't, I don't think I heard anything during sentence about it being acquired and I don't think I've seen anything with it yet. Um, I, I was thinking about where would it go? And honestly, I hope it goes like someplace with Netflix. And the reason I say Netflix is because Netflix does have uh, basically a, a, a whole slew of films that are kind of like dramatic, like films like this, but also I think because it's more accessible. Mm-hmm. And if this was to go on like a site where Amazon Prime, where the viewership isn't as wide and as, as, um, as Netflix, um, I think it, like Netflix does do better. But I don't, I haven't heard anything about it being acquired, but yeah, I just think like I, I want, I can't wait to see more reactions to it because the reactions we've seen have only been from critics yeah. who attended Sundance. So once it gets like wide release, but I can imagine the conversations <laughs> to be had about this film. And um, so as we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to promote? Uh, where can you tell everyone where they can find your writing and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, um, I, I have nothing specifically to promote, but I will say that I um, contribute heavily to Glamour and you can find a lot of my work um, on Glamour.com as well as follow me on Twitter at EC Tannenbaum. Um, and it's the same for my Instagram. Hey. And again, thank you so much, Emily, for talking with me today about Mass by Fran Krantz. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. And this, I can't wait for us to do this again. And I hope we get to meet at Sundance and other film festivals in person in the future. And um, everyone, thank you so much for listening to me today for another episode of Carolyn Talks. This has been a great conversation. You can find me as usual on social media, Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNHCN, C-A-R-I-E-C-N-H-1. You can find me writing um on observer on but why the podcast.com um adam tickets uh comics b and a whole slew of other sites you can find you'll find this conversation on the but by the podcast.com site as well as on other streaming um, platforms you can find the africa roundtables that i've been doing with the african american film critics association on their africa site as well as their youtube channel and recently we've had some great conversations with black film and te- television creatives, including Andrew Dan Toronto Rose, about their new film, The United States of Billie Holiday, which is currently, as we're recording this, is now available for streaming on Hulu, as well as Zendaya and John David Washington for their film, Malcolm Emery, which is currently streaming on Netflix. And we've spoken to Eddie Murphy, our senior hall, about their film, Come to America 2. And most recently, I got, we had opportunity to speak to Philippe Lacotte, who's filmed The Night of the Kings, um, showed at Sundance and it's an amazing film um it's beautifully shot it's it's this I think it's like one of the most beautifully shot films for the last year like the cinematography is fantastic and it shows people how you can shoot dark black people off dark skin and you can see everyone really well but um that's me going on a little bit but it's a beautiful film and I hope everyone sees it and I hope everyone that's listening stays safe